Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Continuing our study here through 1 Peter, we've been kind of going a little bit slow. We're going to pick up the pace here tonight. Uh, Lord willing, time willing, we're going to do verses 11 through 25 of 1 Peter 2 and hopefully finish up the chapter. And then we get into 1 Peter 3, obviously, next week. So I really like this message. I thought it was a lot of neat things that God had to say, and I just love how it came together uh, so wonderfully. So I'm glad you guys can make it out tonight, and I hope you're blessed by this as well. Now, the stepping stone from what we're going to get into tonight actually comes from our passage of last week of verse 9 to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, where it says, You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness. Now, if you remember correctly last week, we went through that passage, and we talked about those different adjectives that describe us, the idea of being chosen, a royal, holy, that idea of being special. We talked about the uniqueness of that. Well, I want to focus on one of those words there where it says that you have been called out. That's our stepping stone for what we're going to get into tonight. Because you have to remember our first verse here tonight in verse 11 is, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims. Now, this is an ongoing theme, and it goes back to the first verse that we talked about here in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, where Peter wrote and called us pilgrims. And we talked about that idea of what it means that this is not our home. 1 Peter 1.1 reminds us of that. 1 Peter 2.11 reminds us of that. Philippians 3.20 says our citizenship is in heaven. We're heavenly citizens living in an earthly world. And I love this passage here in Ephesians 2 that I put in the sheets. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Your citizenship is in heaven. You're part of the household of God. And you're just on this world temporarily. You're just a pilgrim. You're just a sojourner. Now, how temporarily are you in this world? Some people are only on this world for minutes, maybe days. Some people are on this world for 100 plus years. The whole point is this is just a temporary stop into your eternal home in heaven through Jesus Christ. With that mindset, we got to be careful that we don't plant ourselves too strongly into this world by allowing the things of the world to get to us. And that's what this message is about tonight, is since we are sojourners, since we're pilgrims, since we're only temporary residents of this world, there are six things that Peter goes through here, and he says, hey, remember these things. So let's look at this. Second, excuse me, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. The first thing you see as a temporary resident of this world is verse 11, is that we're supposed to abstain from fleshly lusts. We're supposed to abstain from sin. It's hard to live a pure life in this world. There's junk all over the place. <clears throat> There's stuff on the radio you shouldn't hear. There's stuff on TV you shouldn't watch. You get things in the mail you shouldn't look at. There's guys and gals dressing inappropriately that you shouldn't look at. There's words you shouldn't hear. I mean, there's everything all over the place. And this is the goal that we are given to as Christians. We're supposed to abstain from those fleshly lusts which war against the soul. See, that's the thing about sin. We don't think sin's that big a deal. If we could have a holy hatred of sin like God does, that would really change our perspective on things. Because what we really are seeing here in verse 11 is when I allow sin fleshly lust to get into my life, it hurts my soul. It really gets into me and hurts me. See, so often we think, well, I just said something I shouldn't say. It's not a big deal. I just snapped at my spouse. It's not a big deal. Fine, I looked a little too long at that girl on TV. It's not a big deal. Jesus died for those things that we don't consider that big of a deal. And those things war against our soul. And it's amazing how little sins become big sins. And there's numerous examples of this throughout the Bible, and you know a lot of them. The idea of David and Bathsheba, David's little sin of just looking a little too long at Bathsheba. 
which led then to an affair, which then led to Uriah being killed, which then led to covering up Uriah's murder. Why? Because he just had a little sin. He just looked at someone a little too long. Then there's the sin of Achan. We know that one from the book of Joshua, where Achan comes out and says, I coveted, and so since I coveted, I took something I shouldn't have taken. He stole, he hid it, and next thing you know, Achan's whole family pays the price because his little sin of stealing something. And we all have examples in your life. I have examples in my life where something that is just very small, which we don't consider that big a deal, it's those little fleshly lusts that start tearing down things. It's amazing how a little sin can destroy a huge ministry. It's amazing. And so what you see here in verse 11 is the first thing that Peter reminds us of, as a soldier and as a pilgrim, stay away from the things of the world. This is an ongoing battle. An ongoing battle from the day you're born to the day you die. You will battle the flesh. You will battle the lusts of the world. You just will. There's no doubt about that. And until you have your glorified body in heaven, sin will constantly be warring against you and trying to destroy you. Remember what God said to Cain back in the book of Genesis. He says, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you. So 6,000 years ago, when there was only a handful of people on the earth, sin, sin was still knocking on the door saying, I want you, I want to bring you down, I want to destroy you. It's amazing how sin has such a ripple effect. Sin hurts your spouse, it can hurt your kids, it hurts your witness, your co-workers, it hurts where you serve at church. We've got to be careful that we abstain from sin. That's the first step here as we are pilgrims and sojourners. I'm just passing through this world and I don't want to get stained by it. So which takes us to our next one. We need to make sure that our actions are honorable. If you look there at verse 12, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God on the day of visitation. You've heard me use this term before. I call it Teflon Christianity. Nothing sticks to you. They want to say something bad about you. They do. But they, they don't have anything bad to say. Why? Because your conduct is honorable. It's honorable. The biblical word for this is being blameless. But they really want to look at you and say, well, you know what? He loses his temper, but I've never seen him lose his temper. Well, you know what? He, he's a horrible dad. No, I've never seen him be bad with his kids. You know what? He, he yells at his wife. No, I've never seen him yell at his wife. He's a lazy worker. Actually, no, he's the hardest worker of anybody here. They can't find anything negative to say about you. Your conduct is honorable. And that's exactly what happened with Jesus. So what do they resort to with Jesus? Well, we'll just lie. Because we couldn't find anything bad to say about him. We'll just pay people to lie. What a great compliment is that someone could look at your life and say, I can't find one negative thing to say about you, so I have to pay somebody to lie about you to see how bad you are. Now just think about that for one second. Are you blameless? And that is the goal that God has called us, that our conduct, verse 12, should be honorable among the Gentiles. Too often I see Christians getting caught up in the world, and what happens is they talk about getting angry or upset. They talk about how at work, well, you know, that's the only way you can talk to those people at work. You have to go down to their level. No, you don't. That's your conduct. That's your witness. That's you being honorable among the Gentiles. And we have to be careful that our lifestyle matches up. Here's, the, here's this deal, and it's not really fair, but it is what it is. When we got saved, we became children of God. So as children of God, we are called to a different moral standard than everybody else. That's just the truth. My parents have different rules than your parents. Growing up as a kid, my parents had certain rules, and I can remember going to other kids' houses, and we'd be like, well, I'm not really supposed to do that. Well, who cares? Well, my parents care. Sometimes it was the other way around. As kids would come over to my house and be like, well, you know what? Your mom and dad say it's okay. My mom and dad didn't say it's okay. Well, my father in heaven, he says there are certain things that are right and wrong. Purity. Purity in marriage. Purity in life. Right and wrong. The, my standards of what the words I say. How I conduct myself. Those things are important. And what happens is we live in a world sometimes where it's like, I want to be blameless, but how do you believe blameless in a sinful world? It's tough being blameless. In fact, it gets really annoying being blameless, doesn't it? 
I can tell you numerous examples, and they're not here to edify me because my heart didn't want to do it. I don't know how many times like I've been in the store, and you walk out, and you kind of look through the bag of something you bought, and you realize, they didn't ring this item up or something like that. So you look at the store, and it's like, I don't want to walk all the way back in there to do that. No offense, Tim. It's Walmart. It's a multi-billion dollar corporation. They don't care. Blameless. I remember one year doing my taxes, and I got my taxes all done, and I remember I had $75 worth of income from something else, and it changed my taxes enough. It changed my taxes just a hair over a dollar. I thought, this is ridiculous. And I went to bed saying, I'm not going to do it. I couldn't sleep that night. I was convicted, got back up. I want to be blameless. Now, I'm going to be honest. Sometimes I'm blameless, but I'm not joyfully <laughs> blameless. It's annoying. But we're held to a different moral standard. So therefore, in verse 12, I want my conduct to be honorable among non-believers so that way when they want to pick at me, when they want to say something, they scratch their head saying, I can't find something to say about them. What a witness. So the first two points here, since we're sojourners and pilgrims, we abstain from sin, verse 11, we, we live differently. We speak differently, we act differently, we dress differently, we watch different programs, we do things differently than the world. Not because we're better than them and holier than thou, but because we're trying to abstain from sin. Verse 12, my conduct is different. By what I say, by what I do, about how I act, I'm blameless in how I live and how I act. That's what it is. It's different. And if you have kids at home, you know your kids are going to be oddballs at school. Why? Because they're Christians. If you go to work, if you work with a bunch of non-believers, you know you're going to be the oddball. Why? Because you have different moral standards. You're blameless. So those are the first two points there. Any quick questions, comments about those first two things before we move on with the rest here? <clears throat> Sin lies at the door. Let me get that for you. It's Genesis. <laughs> it's going to be Genesis chapter 4, verse 7. Uh, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and it's desirous for you, but you should rule over it. So that's Genesis 4, verse 7, which shows right from the beginning there's this ongoing battle between my spirit wanting to serve God and the sin nature that's in me that wants to bring me down. So Genesis 4, verse 7. Anybody else got anything here they want to say before we go on? All right, let's look at the next one here. Verse 13 says, Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether the king is supreme, or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. As free, not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Now, this is a very touchy subject, and we've already covered this in depth. And if you're interested in a more in-depth study on this, I encourage you, the lesson was Romans 13, Romans 13, verses 1 through 7, and we did that on March 25th of this year. So if you're interested in that teaching, March 25th of this, this year, Romans 13, 1 through 7, uh, the sound guys can even make a copy of that CD for you, or you can go online and get a chance to download and listen to it. And the reason I'm doing that is we spent a whole Sunday morning going through the role of a Christian in the government and reminding us that we're heavenly citizens living in an earthly kingdom. How do we find that balance when you look at this verse 13 of submitting yourselves under the government and etc.? Not trying to skip over it, but we covered it in depth just about two months ago. So I encourage you to go back and look at that. But I do want to focus here on verse 17 where it says, Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. That's a really tough verse. And ignoring the governmental side of that verse of honoring the king, that's what we're going to cover there in that Romans message. But what about honoring all people? Now, you may not want to admit it. You probably have people in your family. You have probably people you work with. You have people in your, you may actually call friends, that are very difficult to honor. There's not much honor in them. There's not much to honor about them. Love the brotherhood. You probably are right now thinking, I know people that claim to be Christians. It's really hard to love them. 
I look at verse 17 and I wrote down in my notes, love the unlovable, because that's exactly what it is. And that phrase there, honor all people, I make this joke all the time, but that word all means what? All. Every person you run into, you're supposed to honor and respect. Why? Because look at the rest of this verse. Honor all people, love the brotherhood. Two little words there in verse 17. Fear God. I respect God, and that's what that word fear means. It means to have a healthy respect for, a reverence for. So since I revere God and I love God, God says to honor all people, I do that. And I'm going to tell you right now in my flesh, and I'm being honest, I've met people that I do not think are worthy of honor. <laughs> I have met people that I don't think are really worthy of love. Jesus said, I'll die for them. So Jesus died on the cross for their sins just like he died on the cross for my sins. And that's a tough thing to think of because we all have people in our hearts and our minds right now that we say, yep, I'm supposed to love everybody but them. They have crossed such a line in my life that I don't have to love them. Or that person is so much of a something, I don't have to honor them because of the way they live their life, their work ethic and whatever. They are exempt from respect, honor, and love. Now, we are pilgrims and sojourners. We're heavenly citizens. And the rules and moral standards of heaven say we honor all people and we love the brotherhood. The world may say that person does not deem honor. That person, the world may say that person does not deem love. We do as heavenly citizens. We're under a different obligation and a different standard. And right now, if you thought that verse was hard, just wait. It gets even a little tougher here in a little bit. But does anybody have any quick questions here about verse 17 of honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king? And I hesitate to even ask this one. But does anybody have any questions about the governmental thing in verse 13? And please don't have a question about that, okay? Because we already covered that. No, if you do, that's fine. Okay. Look at this one now in verse 18. As heavenly citizens, look at verse 18. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable. If because of conscience towards God one endures grief, suffering wrongfully, what credit is it? When you are beaten for your fault, you take it patiently. But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. Now, I, I've heard this taught numerous times, and I don't like the way it's taught, but I can't find a way to disagree with it. So until I find a way to disagree with it, I have to agree with it. Verse 18, we may live in a nation now where we don't have masters and slaves. But I've heard numerous pastors in numerous ways say, when you look at verse 18, you're supposed to look at it as a working relationship between you as the employer and your boss. Or maybe you as the boss and your employees. Now, I understand that, and I think that's good. But I look at verse 18, and I look, I don't, I don't want to do that sometimes. Now, granted, I have a very unique job. I technically don't have a earthly, worldly boss, per se. But I can remember even in my brief secular work history, I had some people that uh, would not really want to work under. And I have people come into my office a lot with work situations, and their boss is literally driving them stir-crazy, sometimes to the point of tears, sometimes to the point of frustration. And it's almost like you just want to stop and say, you know what, that person is such a something, just forget about them. But you look at this verse 18, and it says, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, also to the harsh. That word harsh literally means crooked, perverse, wicked. Have you ever had a boss that is crooked, perverse, and wicked? I bet some of you had. And the Bible says, you know what? Submit unto them. Now, obviously, let's make this clear. This passage is not saying that you are then called to do something illegal or wrong. You are under a different moral standard to God. But I have people come in all the time and say, it's not fair. What's well, not fair? Well, since I'm such a good hard worker, they give me all the junkie jobs. And then the people that he's got his little group that he really likes, he gives them the easy jobs. That's not fair. 
Well, I hate it. Well, I bet you do, but what are you supposed to do about that? Well, I know what I'm going to do. Now, wait a second before you know what you're going to do. Look right here in verse 19. For this is commendable if because of conscience towards God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. I'm sorry, people, but I looked up those words. Grief means grief. Suffering means suffering. It really stinks sometimes. It really does. There is unfairness in the workplace. There's unfairness with bosses. That's just the way it is. And the truth of the matter is, if you live your life as a Christian, and especially if you live your life as a Christian and work, there's going to be times you're going to be taken advantage of. Why? Because one of the key passages here, and we're short on time, so I can't take you there, but if you look at that Colossians 3, 22 through 25 mentioned there, I'm just going to read it to you real quick, because that is a very, very convicting verse. It says in Colossians 3, 22 through 25, it says, Bond servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. What does verse 22 mean? It means just don't work hard when the boss is around. You work hard no matter who's around. Verse 23, And whatever you do, you do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. You may be going into work tonight or tomorrow. Your paycheck may be signed by a company, an organization, but the truth of the matter is the Bible says you're serving Christ at work. That, that's really what it comes down to. And I always tell people all the time, the reason you work is to have a house and to have your bills paid so that way then you can go spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the reason you work. Your work is a missions field. That's the way it is. So when somebody comes into my office and they usually say, you have no idea who I'm working with. I'm working with the most difficult people in the world. I usually say, wow, what a neat mission field you have. Now, sometimes they don't like that, but that's the truth. You're working with you. I'm, James, you don't get it. I'm the only believer in my whole shift. Wow, every single day at work, you have the opportunity to be a witness for Christ to all those non-believers. I know that's not what they want to hear. People want to say, I am so blessed. I work with all Christians. That's great. That really is. And if you have that, what a blessing that is. But if you also work with all non-believers, what a blessing that is. You have a chance to impact them for the Lord. Now, that is really difficult to say, and it's really difficult to do. But like that passage in Colossians says, you serve the Lord Christ. That's who you serve. Your company, your organization is reimbursing you for time and your paycheck. But you serve the Lord Christ. And some of us have the harsh bosses, the crooked, perverse, wicked. And boy, that's difficult. Boy. Sometimes people come up and they say, I need to find a new job. And I say, why? Because the people I work with, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they say, and they come up and say, would you pray that I can find a new job? And I always take a deep breath and I always say, listen, I said, I'm, I'm going to pray for God's will because God's will may be for you to be that light and witness in that really dark workplace. Now, they don't like that. And if I was in their shoes, I don't know if I would like to hear that. But I say, you know what? If I pray for God's will, that means I trust that the Lord will either move you to where you're supposed to be or the Lord will give you the strength to stay there to be a light and witness. Now, does that mean you have to stay there? No. If the Lord's leading you to go find something different, he's leading you to go find something different. If the Lord is saying, no, stay there, that means he's also going to give you the strength to stay there to be a light and a witness. Now, those are tough verses. There's no way around that. And it's really be fun to try to find a way to sugarcoat that, and there isn't. We are pilgrims and sojourners. We're held to a different moral standard. We're held to different convictions than what the world is. So, therefore, our work ethic is different, which takes us right to our next point, verses 19 and 20. Life in this earth is not fair. It's not. So when someone comes in and says, this isn't fair, I agree. It's not fair. It's not fair that you're getting taken advantage of at work. It's not fair that you're always getting the junky jobs. It's not fair that someone else is taking credit for your work. That's not fair. But look at verse 20 one more time. 
But what credit is it to you when you are beaten for your fault, you take it patiently? So very simply put, <coughs> excuse me, you get in trouble, but you did the trouble. Well, I'm just going to take my trouble. Wow, what a mature person you are. You willfully took the punishment that was rightfully due to you. Nope, that's not commendable. You did what's wrong, you get punished. Look at verse, the end of the second head of verse 20. But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. That's a big verse. And I want you to see more of this. Can you go with me to Matthew 5, please? Let's build on this. Matthew 5. Matthew 5 here. One of the phrases I always like to say as Christians, we're supposed to have a thick skin and a soft heart. And I tell you right now, some of the places where you guys work, you need to have a thick skin because it's tough. I can't imagine. I can't imagine getting up every morning or going in at night and having to deal with what some people deal with. It's got to be tough. But yet you also have to see the big eternal picture. Now, we're very familiar with Matthew chapter 5. It's the Beatitudes. Look at this in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now, if we would just stop right there, those are really good. But the problem is that there's verses 10, 11, and 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. One step further, look at verse 11. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Now, come on, isn't that hard? That is very difficult. When someone says something negative about you, that's not true. When someone is spreading rumors about you, that's not true. God says, don't get upset. Verse 11, they're blessing you. They're pouring money right into your blessing account up in heaven. You should go up to those people and say, you're telling rumors about me. I just want to say thank you. Because the eternal rewards I'm weeping, reaping by you being a jerk is just amazing. And I'm really, really thankful for that. Because verse 11, you're blessed. Now, I, I've been in the verse 11 situation where people are saying things falsely about me, and I don't consider it a blessing at this time. But once I get up to heaven for all of eternity, then it will be a blessing. Verse 12, rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. So they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus says in one other place, he goes, this is highly paraphrased, bear with me. Hey, they picked on me, they're going to pick on you. And that's what it comes down to. As a Christian, you work under a different moral standard. Your moral standard will not work in this world sometimes. When the break time is 15 minutes and everybody takes 20, 25, and you're the one at 15 o'clock and back in, you know why they don't like you? Because you make them look bad. You know, when everybody else is kind of loafing it and you're like, nope, I'm working diligently. I'm working as if working for the Lord, not for man. You know why they don't like you? Because you make them look bad. But you serve the Lord Christ. And so when they want to say things against you, when they want to attack you, verse 11, you're blessed. You may not see that blessing now. And you know why you don't see that blessing now? Verse 12, rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward where? In heaven. In heaven. So it's almost like they're taking the money and they're skipping your checking account right now and just putting it right into savings and saying, oh, by the way, this is a trust. You can't touch it. But it's growing. It's getting bigger. He goes, trust me. It's tough. That is very tough. And the example that is given to us is the example of Jesus. Jump back here to First Peter. Let's finish this up. Because as it says right here in verse 21 of First Peter, it says, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. I like verse 23 
It's a really good verse. I like how it said it in the New Living Translation. It says, He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. One of the phrases I always say to people, where they say, It's not fair. Okay, life's not fair. Well, you know what? They're saying these type of things against me. You're going to be blessed for that. Well, what happens is they're believing this and not that. I always say the truth will come out. Why? Because look at this. The Lord sees the big picture. He does. So therefore, the Lord sees the big picture. And sometimes what I say is, you know what? You know the truth and God knows the truth. And those are the only two that matter. Now, is that really difficult in the world we live in? You bet it is. Because we've all had moments where we're pushed and pushed and pushed and we just had enough and we want to push back. Now, biblically speaking... There are times and places where you can put your foot down and you can say, you know what, that's just not true. The Lord will give wisdom. He will give guidance. And we've had numerous teachings before on this. When the Lord leads, he will lead in peace. He will lead in wisdom. He will not lead in anger. He will not lead in threatening. He will not lead in yelling and screaming and pointing of fingers. And he will not lead with, hey, you want to go, let's go now. That's not God. He will lead in peace and comfort. And he will lead in wisdom. There's a time to have that. But until that time... Thick skin, soft heart. Which takes us to our last thing, verses 21 through 23 of what we've already read. We live by the example that Jesus showed us. That is the whole thing. As Christ set the godly example for us. So we know how we're supposed to react. When someone says something against you that's not true, Christ set the example. When we feel like we want to fight back, Christ set the example. We are heavenly citizens living in an earthly kingdom. Our morals and standards are different, and so therefore we are different. It goes back to, I believe, the word that we talked about on Sunday in the good old King James. It said we're a peculiar people. We're odd. We're different. Our standards are different. Let's finish this up, verses 24 and 25. Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we have died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Christ is the one that saved you. Through his death and resurrection, we have eternal life. We have salvation through him. We have heaven through Christ through being born again. So therefore, as a heavenly citizen, my life is different. Go through this list one more time. As a heavenly citizen, I abstain from sin. As a heavenly citizen, I make sure my actions are honorable. I'm blameless. As a heavenly citizen, I remind myself when this earthly world gets really annoying, hey, this isn't my home. As a heavenly citizen, I work for the Lord, not my employer, because I serve Christ. As a heavenly citizen, I accept that this world isn't fair. As a heavenly citizen, I live by the example that Jesus Christ set for us. Now, is that easy? It's not easy in any way whatsoever. But that's the moral standard that God gave us. And if that's the moral standard that God gave us, through His Spirit, He'll also give us the strength to do it truly well. Does anybody have any final questions, comments here before we go ahead and close up with a word of prayer? Yeah, Rose, third point. It is, we remind ourselves we're citizens of heaven, not earth. That one? Yep, that one's in 2 and verse 17. That's where we honor all people. Yep. Anybody else have anything they want to say here before we go ahead and close up? All righty, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray that we would be lights and witnesses, be it at work, be it at home, be it at school, in whatever place you've called us, that we would truly live for you. Help us to honor all people. Help us to love the brotherhood. Help us to fear God and honor the king. Lord, we want to live that verse out. And Lord, it is tough being sometimes your child in a fallen world. Lord, give us strength to shine for you and always say and do. Help us, Lord, to be above the fray and to live our life to your moral code, Lord, to your standards that you laid out in the Bible, to your spirit. We lift this up in your name. Amen. You guys have a good week and God bless then.